Let me encourage you to take out your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. Again, whether you have a a hard copy like I have here or whether you have it on your phone, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, But I really encourage you to open up to the scriptures there so you can have them in front of you uh, as we get ready to go through that here in just a moment. Because we've been in this series entitled Faith Is. And I hope by now you understand as we've been going through this series, we've kind of had really two uh, focuses, two things that we're trying to accomplish. The first one would be this, is making sure people have a genuine faith, uh, that you'd be able to check your life and say, yes, I have a genuine faith or not. But then probably maybe even more importantly is this, is if you say you have a genuine faith, understanding how you live out that genuine faith. In other words, if you say you have a true faith, it should make a difference in your life. I've probably mentioned this before, but I'll mention this again. This series is so needed because here's what we see in our world today. We see so many people who say that they're Christians and say, I believe in Jesus Christ, yet when you look at their life, their life is no different than people who claim no faith at all. And according to the scripture, that should not be so, that if you have a faith in Jesus Christ, your life should be lived differently. Now, if we are all honest today, there's something that we could agree on today that is a challenge to our faith. All right? I believe if I ask and say, would you agree with me, this, I think you would. And so what is the one thing that really challenges our faith? It's suffering. All right. In other words, when we face difficulties in life, They have a way of challenging our faith. On one front, some want to say this. Well, if I had enough faith, then I wouldn't be going through this. This wouldn't be happening to me if I had enough faith. And people say that because many who claim to have a faith have this understanding that if you're a person of faith, then you do not suffer. Now, I'm always amazed when people who have been in the faith for a long time still carry this understanding because here's what the scripture is very clear about. All right, people of faith will suffer. All right, you read this book, people of faith will suffer. And not only that, sometimes, hear me, the scripture even indicates sometimes people of faith will suffer more, sometimes even because of their faith, all right? So for some, though, it begins to make them questioning their faith. Now, for others, it makes them question not the genuineness or the strength of their faith. Some, it makes them wonder if they have misplaced their faith. In other words, some suffering makes people question the reality of God, you know, people in this category begin to believe that if there were a God, then bad things wouldn't be happening or specifically it wouldn't be happening to them. Therefore, in their mind, since bad things are happening, then there is no God. Their thinking is just as faulty as the first group, but more dangerous because the first group is not doubting God. They're just doubting themselves. But both of these happen sometimes because of suffering. And I don't think what I just shared is news to anybody, right? You already knew that. In fact, most people here may have been in one of those two categories at one time or another in life. I'll even say this, you might have even spent a little time in both of those areas. And so here's the question, should suffering be something that weakens our faith? Should suffering be something that makes us uncertain of our faith? Well, I will firmly answer those questions, no, all right? Instead, what we want to see today is that for people of faith, there is a guaranteed deliverance. And so in reality, what suffering should do is strengthen our faith. As a matter of fact, this week I, I called and I talked to Lewis and, and was just checking with her, uh, 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 checking with him on Pam and seeing how he and Pam were both doing as she's going through her treatments there in the hospital for leukemia. As I talked to Lewis, what was very clear from him was that 
as Pam was being treated by the doctors, the doctors would continually talk about this delicate balance. They would say, well, if we do this, it affects this. And then we treat that and affects this. And so they were talking about how they, how they had to work really hard to keep this delicate balance. So potassium levels are right. All these different levels in their body would be right. And so Lewis said, as they contemplated what the doctors were saying, it was a reminder to them of this. It was a reminder to them that their lives are not here by chance, that our bodies are so intricately created that the only explanation for them would be that there has to be a creator, that in no way are our lives just a chance of nature. In other words, he was saying Pam's cancer and the treatment are reminding them that there is a God who is in control of their lives. In fact, instead of weakening their faith, what we'll see is her suffering is being used by God to strengthen their faith. And here's what we're gonna see shortly, is that all believers should have such a response to suffering. Now, to look at this important and delicate topic, we're gonna look at the first nine verses in 1 Peter. The apostle Peter wrote this letter to Christian people of faith who were in the midst of great suffering. Many of them were being persecuted because of their faith. They'd even been driven from their homeland because of their faith. I mean, their situation was uncomfortable. Their situation was hard to understand. Their situation seemed desperate. And for some, I'll be quite frankly, Peter knew this, that their situation was just going to get worse. Therefore, Peter wrote to these believers to encourage them, to comfort them, and to strengthen them. And as we look at what he wrote, the truths that we're going to discover should do the same for our lives, even though our suffering looks different. And so let's look how Peter starts here. Look at what he starts. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, in a way, we can see these words as just a general introduction to this letter, and it is. We see Peter identified as the writer and Christians who'd been scattered as the recipient. Some of them had been scattered to places that are hard to say, right? All right, like, how you say it, all right? You got it, right? However, as we look closely at how Peter addressed the recipients, we will see that there is security in our identity. There's two aspects of their identity that are very important, all right? First, they are the elect, which means they are chosen by God. Second, that they are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. And being chosen by God means we are his and being God's is a big deal. If I know that I'm on God's team, you know what? If I know I'm on God's team, you know what? Are you ready? If I'm on God's team, I am the winner, right? I, I win if I'm on God's team. I'm on the winning team. And since this is in, we're in March Madness, right? There is basketball being played these days, I think, right? I think there is. And since we're in the middle of it and basketball is on our mind, let me just kind of put it to you this way. Let's assume we're going to play a pickup game of basketball, okay? And the two captains that are picking teams are one is LeBron James and the other is Jerry Seinfeld. Now, who do you want you to pick for their team? LeBron James, right? In fact, here's what you know. If LeBron picks you and you're on his team, assuming the rest of the people are your average pickup basketball players, you know if LeBron James plays his hardest, you are guaranteed at the 
win, right? You know that, okay? Now, more so with God than, than LeBron is this, all right? If you're on God's team, here's what it is we have. It's a secure victory. You are on the winning team, and victory is sure because you are God's. And here's what the Scripture teaches. God has chosen us in Christ, and if you are a believer, you are on his team. Amen? Now, also, when you look at these verses and see that we have been chosen by God, and that it's according to his foreknowledge, and that it is in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus, we are reminded that God has given us purpose. All right, because our lives have purpose, we know that there is a reason for our existence and there is a reason to press on. When a believer feels like giving up, you need to look and say this, my life has reason and purpose and God is working out his plan in me. In fact, if you look at the idea of sanctification that is mentioned, we're also reminded that God is growing us in our faith through our circumstances. Peter was encouraging these believers who were facing difficulty to remember that they were God's and that he was working in their lives, so don't give up. And the same can be said for every believer throughout time. Because you belong to God, you should never give up. There should be security in your identity as one chosen by God. In fact, don't let difficulty make you doubt your faith and standing with God. Don't doubt. Why? Because in Hebrews 11, all right, we're given many examples of people of faith. Some of them experienced great victories and we rejoice. For example, when Moses stood there by the waters and they parted the waters and they walked through on dry land, when they get through, what do we do? We shout and rejoice, right? Because Moses had such faith in leading these people that God did something amazing, right? All right. However, other people of faith suffered greatly. When Stephen was being stoned to death, we want to cry. But he had just as much faith, if not more, than Moses. And even in this moment when he was dying, he looked up in that moment of suffering and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. In that moment, God was reminding Stephen that he was there and that Stephen was his. And we would judge those situations very differently from a human standpoint, all right? We look at Moses and say, oh, that's great. We look at Stephen and say, that's bad. We judge it from a human standpoint. But in the sight of God, hear me, both situations were being used for his glory. Moses served God's purpose and so did Stephen. Just because we might judge Stephen's life as one more suffering than triumph does not make his life any less valuable or less important than Moses. His life of purpose was different than Moses, but both found their security in knowing that they were God's and they were fulfilling his purpose for their life. You see, belonging to God is a wonderful thought. Great security is found there. That fact alone should give us great strength and encouragement. However, Peter didn't end there. He went on to give believers even more reason to have strength in their faith. Look at what he writes next in verse 3. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. Here we see Peter remind us that there is hope in our future. Think for a moment. What is most discouraging to us as people in general and as people of faith? Isn't it when we lose hope? Right? All right. Especially hope that things will ever get better or that things are ever going to go right for you. I mean, when you look and the end looks bad, all right, you, you want to give up, do you not? 
I mean, if your bank account, you look in your bank account and you see that the bills are rolling in, but the income is not rolling in the match and you're watching your bank account disappear and there becomes a point where you lose hope because all you see in the future, in the horizon is bankruptcy, you want to give up, do you not? When you study hard doing all your required work, but still seeing that you can't, you have a hard time passing the test, you lose hope of ever passing the class because the numbers just don't add up. When you go to the doctor and the doctor says they've done all that they can do for you, we don't know anything else to try, you lose hope thinking of this, that you're going to have just a lifetime of pain or what you know is death is coming soon. And so you kind of lose hope and you get overwhelmed. Your spouse comes and says, I've done, I'm done, and starts packing bags, you lose hope. All you see in the future is a broken marriage, a broken home, and a broken heart, broken dreams, and so much more. And so you lose hope. You got passed over for promotion again. And you look and you see you're simply your job as a dead end. And you lose hope because the end looks bad. You don't see like, seem like you're going anywhere. You see, any of these circumstances and more can cause you to lose hope. But Peter says, for a believer, we have hope in the future. And it is a hope that actually brings hope to our present. In fact, look again at verse 3. He said, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In fact, think for a moment about what Peter wrote. We have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if we think about the truth written here, we are reminded of this, that hope is found only in Jesus Christ. And without Jesus Christ, there is no hope. But through Jesus Christ, we have a living hope. In fact, if God is able, hear me, if God is able to bring back Jesus Christ from the dead, what in your life is too big for God to handle? You tell me. Nothing. That's right. Absolutely nothing. God is truly able to bring you through whatever you are facing. He can handle it. You have a living hope for the present if you are looking to Jesus Christ. But keep this also in mind. Peter says the hope that we have is really based upon the fact that we have an inheritance that is waiting for us that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Remember, hope is lost when we don't see things working out, right? All right? Peter says everything for a believer works out in the end. God's promise to us isn't one that will perish or defile or fade. It, it is an inheritance that is not only waiting for us, hear me, it will last forever. Isn't that great? It's being kept for you in heaven. Because of the promise that we have awaiting, we should have hope in the present. Everything is going to be okay in the end, even if it doesn't work out this side of heaven. You see, our hope shouldn't be based on whether our present circumstances get better. Our hope should be based upon the future that is ours in Jesus Christ. In fact, the hope that Jesus brings is amazing. For those of faith, you have your own resurrection day coming someday. In fact, I love the way J.R.R. Tolkien described it. Tolkien described the resurrection as a time when every sad thing becomes untrue. Now, I don't know if you're a fan of the movies, but Sam says that in The Lord of the Rings. This is a great Sunday morning in eternity where all sad things come untrue. You are reunited with a lost child. Your legs will work again. Disease is taken away. There is no more pain or crying, and God wipes every tear away. The hope that believers have for the future is an amazing thing. Consider this. Whether you live 30 more minutes, 30 more days, 30 more months, or 30 more years, the reality for us is that we are all moving towards the end of life on this earth. 
The big question is, do you have anything waiting for you? All that we have now is temporary, even suffering. Peter says believers have an inheritance that are awaiting that is being kept for you to enjoy. That should be enough to keep us hope. Even understand if things in the end doesn't work out for his believer, it keeps us hope because we understand everything for a believer does work out in the end. However, there is even more. Look at what he said in verse five. Not only is your inheritance being kept for you, but if you are a person of faith and you are part of those who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So not only is God watching over you and securing an inheritance, he is guarding you in the presence. Now I've mentioned this a few times in the last week, so I hope you've heard this, but I'll say it again. That if you are a person of faith, then God has you. You don't have to wonder, you don't have to worry. God is the one guarding you in your faith and guaranteeing your future. What a hope that is. It should be a great assurance in a world of uncertainty, should it not? All right, he's holding it. Now, knowing that you have hope for the future should be encouraging to those who are believers. But there is even more, for believers then can find joy in our suffering. Some of the next verses may be the most quoted here in 1 Peter, and they are verses we surely need to be reminded of. So look as Peter continues. He says, in this you rejoice. All right, in this you rejoice. The this is the future hope that we just looked at, all right? Our future hope should bring us joy. I said, so in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Okay, so what Peter is saying is because you have this future hope, we rejoice even though we will suffer in the present. By the way, we rejoice in spite of our suffering, not because of our suffering, Okay. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, Peter is calling us to find joy in our suffering. In fact, as one commentator put it, this is the way he wrote it. He said, God's omnipotent sovereignty needs to be coupled with human responsibility. Christians are responsible to respond in faith. Faith turns sound doctrine into sound practice. Faith acts on the content of theology and produces context, conduct that corresponds to that content. Faith makes theological security experiential. All right? Now, if those were big words and you didn't get what that commentator said, I'll put it to you plainly. In a way, what we see Peter saying here is it's a call to exercise our faith. Finding joy in our suffering will be a choice we make. Choice we make. We, when we choose to rejoice, we enjoy the benefit of God's promises that he has made. See, as Peter sets his expectation, he recognizes several things. First, he recognizes that suffering is difficult. Notice he said, if you've been grieved by various trials, in other words, it is natural for anyone who faces the trial to be grieved. I mean, no one's first response to suffering is, oh, awesome, I'm suffering, is it? It's not, right? None of us do that. None of us are going to look and say, oh, awesome, I'm suffering. No, at first, we always find us suffering the same way. We grieve. We might grieve differently, but we grieve. Some cry, some become silent. Some become expressive. Some become irritable. Some become aggressive. We all respond differently to our suffering, but we all respond with some form of grief, all right? But what is interesting is Peter, recognizing this grief, he writes about it in the past, the words he used was have been grieved, all right? Have been 
past because he's indicating that his expectation is the grief has come and now you've moved past that grief to the expected joy. There should be joy in the life of a believer. Though clearly suffering is difficult, the expectation is we move again from that grief to joy. He also, though, indicates that suffering is necessary. God doesn't grieve us with trials for no reason. There is a purpose in them. In fact, in 1 James 1, we're not gonna read it today, but you can go read it later about how our faith grows in our suffering, that it has a purpose, that suffering produces something in our life. There's no doubt that as we go through difficult situations, we grow. It is difficult moments that require people of faith to exercise faith. And like physical exercise, the exercising of our faith causes spiritual growth. But maybe more importantly, as Peter indicates here, that suffering tests our faith to see that it is genuine. You know, in the book of Job, we see Satan make an accusation against God that the only reason that Job worshiped him was because God had protected him and blessed him tremendously. Well, what was God's response to Satan? Well, letting Job be tested through great difficulty. Job, of course, many of you know the story, passed the test with flying colors, proving that his faith with God was genuine. Now, what was the result? Job found in his life a deeper walk with God as he proclaimed this about God in Job 42, 5. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. In other words, Job realized that the suffering took him to a place where he knew God in a way that he had never known before. Job understood in a way that faith was easy when things were well in his life. Job also understood when he had to rely on that faith that he actually went deeper with God and understood more fully what it meant to know God. On top of that, we still praise Job today and use him as an example of faith. Job's suffering became an opportunity for God to be glorified in his life. Peter indicates to us a similar thing can happen in our lives. When we have our faith tested by trials, it can be proved genuine. And notice, as a result, it results in praise and glory and honor. In part, we bring glory and praise and honor to God in the way we live our life. And someday, all right, if we exercise faith, God will praise us. And when we praise God through our suffering, people are drawn to him. People don't understand when those of faith handle suffering with extraordinary strength, and it becomes an opportunity for believers to tell people of the hope that they have, the hope that comes because of their identity as belonging to God, and the hope that comes because they know their future hope and are resting in its guarantee. In fact, many people have come to faith in Jesus Christ by watching believers go through their suffering and handle that suffering by God's strength. For any of us, suffering that brings someone to faith in God should make us rejoice, should it not? All right? What is clear for a believer is that we should be able to find joy in suffering. And when a believer is secure in his identity, when a believer has hope in the future, and when a believer has joy in suffering, a believer can then have assurance in the outcome. All right? Look at Peter concludes these first thoughts of this letter. Look what he says. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And consider what Peter says is the outcome of a faith that we've just looked at. He says, you obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Remember earlier that I said one of the things that makes us struggle with suffering is that we don't see any hope in the end. Y'all remember me saying that, right? Uh, And I get that, but I want you to think about for a moment is how you have to look to the end of things to judge them. Do you not? You have to to see the end before you can judge them. Today on the Christian calendar is Palm Sunday. 
It is the day when we remember Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and the people crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, you've noticed we've sang a couple of songs like that, right? Okay. It was a moment of great joy as people come and they recognize, oh, Jesus has come. And they'd watched him heal the sick. They'd seen him do miracles. And so he'd come. And so they recognize that Jesus is here. However, the rest of the week looks much bleaker. For shortly after Jesus makes it into Jerusalem, the events begin to unfold where Jesus is betrayed, where Jesus is arrested, where Jesus is crucified on a cross, where Jesus dies, and eventually where Jesus is buried in a borrowed tomb. Now, those who experienced that week with Jesus, they didn't understand it. Those things looked bleak and overwhelming. In fact, as Jesus prepared them for these events, this is what Jesus said in Mark 8, 31. It says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. All right, let's pause. This is Peter, remember? As Jesus told his disciples that he would suffer, the reaction was basically this. Lord, this cannot be so. Peter takes him to the side, and we don't have all the words of that conversation, but my guess is Peter looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, there's no way you can die. I mean, you heal the sick. We've got to have you around. Lord, you can speak to the winds, and they calm. We've got to have you around. Lord, you can do all great. You're teaching. Lord, you can't go anywhere. There's no way this can happen to you. And so Peter was saying, no, Lord, this can't happen. But they didn't see the benefit of what was happening. Jesus knew that he must die to pay for the sins of mankind. He knew that his suffering was the only hope of forgiveness and salvation for the world. That is why he looked at his disciples who didn't understand what he was saying about what was going to come, and even Peter who had rebuked him, and we continue reading this in Mark 8. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Are you get it? When Peter looked at Jesus, he couldn't see the benefits of Jesus dying. All right. All he saw is the opportunity that was being missed on the earth, like I just shared, the opportunity of Jesus being there and healing and performing miracles of all kinds and, and teaching. That's all Peter could see. He said, no way. All right. But, but Jesus said, you're just seeing the things of man. You're not seeing the things of God. That's why Jesus went on to say this and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? You see, our problem is the same. We are looking to save our lives when we are really losing them. When all we look for is earthly gain and earthly comfort, we are losing our lives. Many people are losing their soul. How many people do you know have chosen the comforts of the world rather than faith in God? Many, right? Why? Because following God is not always easy. It's not always comfortable. might require suffering. But just as Jesus' suffering brought salvation, sometimes our suffering brings great benefits for the kingdom. And as Peter's mentioning here, it's bringing us to a place where we're experiencing the ultimate benefit of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand Peter or me this morning, because hear me, your suffering doesn't buy your salvation. That's not what Peter is saying. That's not what he's saying at all. However, you having faith through suffering, 
proves you belong to God, and in the end, have a faith that is rewarded with the salvation of your soul, which is more important than anything you can gain on earth. All right, if you are a person of true faith, there is assurance in the outcome, and that should strengthen your faith. In fact, in the end, here's where it brings us, asking the question, does the faith really help you deal with suffering? The answer to that question is yes. Since in the end there is a guaranteed deliverance, you should never lose hope. What there should really be is a change of perspective. You see, as a believer, you should be able to take your eyes off your present circumstances and put them on Jesus. And when you look to Jesus, everything should change because you realize that he truly has purchased for you a good end. To bring this to a close, think even how Jesus changed things for Peter, the author of this letter. Hey, remember, Peter wrote the words I've shared with you this morning. Here was a man who, though, at one time in his life was so insecure, so insecure, he lived an impulsive life. Read about Peter, he was impulsive. That often comes from insecurity in life. Here's a man who began to lose hope when Jesus told his disciples he was going to die. Here was a man who in the heat of the moment, as Jesus was arrested, he didn't have joy, didn't have joy, but instead he denied three times that he even knew Jesus. Here was a man who after Jesus was crucified was assured of nothing and therefore went and hid in the upper room afraid for his own life. But what changed? What changed? After Jesus was resurrected and Peter understood that Jesus was worth his faith and after Peter understood truly what it meant to follow Jesus, everything changed. He understood he was secure in his identity and boldly proclaimed he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He understood that his future was filled with hope and so he boldly proclaimed Jesus even when he was threatened with being arrested. Peter understood that it was possible to have joy in suffering even various times being put in prison and while he was in prison, what did Peter do while he was there? Some of you know, right? What did he do? He sang the praises of God. He had joy in the midst of that, right? Peter understood that there was an assurance of his outcome. And so he continued to proclaim the truth of Jesus until tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down on a cross. Upside down because he requested that because he wasn't worthy to be crucified like his Savior right side up. Because we have these words written by Peter, we clearly know that Peter was a man who understood his guaranteed deliverance and challenged others to live with this deliverance in mind. He might not have been there at one time in his life, but he gained a sincere faith in Jesus and his perspective changed. And believer, I wanna ask you this morning, if you're here today and you say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, let me ask you, does this describe your faith? Can you say today as a believer, I'm secure in my identity. I know I belong to God. I know that he has purpose for my life. Does that describe you today? (laughs) Let me ask you today, as as you think about that, as you look at your life, can you look and say, I understand I have a hope? As I'm looking to the future, I I don't have to let the circumstances overwhelm me because I know God has said, I've got a great hope. I've got a great future in front of me. I know that I have this inheritance that is unperishing and undefiled, unfading in heaven. And because of that, I know it works out for me in the end. Do you have that hope this morning? 
Are you a believer today that can say, I have such a faith in Jesus Christ that when trouble comes, I can have joy, not because of my circumstances, but in spite of my circumstances, because I know God is holding me and he's given me a living hope? Can you today rest, all right, in your future knowing today that you have the assurance of your deliverance? Do you know that there is something greater waiting for you today? I hope so, because if you place your faith in Jesus, you clearly can have a secure identity. You can have hope for your future. You can have joy in your, your, your suffering, and you can have the assurance of the outcome. My prayer would be for all of us today that if you have suffering even in your life, that it would prove that you have that kind of faith. And so, believer, let me ask you, do you have this kind of faith today? If not, here's what I want to challenge you in just a moment. We're coming to a time of invitation and I want to challenge you to come before this God that you love and necessarily let him change your perspective. Maybe you're suffering right now and you're overwhelmed. You know, if you're going to handle it, why not bring that to God? He told you there's hope in the midst of that suffering today, has he not? And maybe you just need to come and bow at this altar. Or if you're home, make your own altar and go before the Lord and say, God, I'm bringing my suffering before you today. And I'm asking God for you to change my perspective. I'm looking to you today, Father, to find that hope. Will you in this moment turn your eyes to the Lord because as a believer you should? Because this is what I know. The world needs Christians who are living with their blessed assurance. Right? They need believers that have this kind of faith so that they can look at us and say, in a world that seems so hopeless, they can look and say, I know there's hope and I see it in you. I see it in you. So let's take that challenge as believers to live this kind of life. And if you're here today, and you say, I don't have that hope. Maybe today is the day that you put your eyes upon Jesus. For you see, again, those disciples, when he, Jesus was walking through that last week, they didn't see the end in sight. But today, we can look back. We see the end. We know that Jesus didn't just suffer, he just didn't, but he resurrected and proved who he was, and he's given us hope today. We know that, right? We know that. And maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus. Let today be the day that you come and cry out to him and say, Lord, I need you. I need you today and put your faith in him. And I know what God wants to do is he wants to come. He wants to forgive you of sin, give you eternal life and give you the hope that we talked about today. He, he wants to give you that guaranteed outcome, that guaranteed deliverance today. And so if you'll look to him, it can be yours in Jesus Christ. And so you bow with me this morning as we prepare for our invitation. Father, we come, and Lord, as we bow before you at this moment, Father, we know that as we come to an invitation, it is a sacred moment in our worship of you today. When we come and we're faced with making decisions. And Father, I know that there are some believers here today that they need to come and decide to trust their suffering to you. And what they need today is just a change of perspective to get their eyes off of their circumstances is onto you, being reminded of the guaranteed deliverance that they have in Jesus. And so during this invitation, Father, my prayer would be some would choose joy. But others this morning are facing a, a different kind of decision, and that's the decision whether to put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I pray as we come to this invitation, there would be some who would cry out to Jesus today, that they would recognize their sin and they would confess that before you, recognize that Jesus died for them and was resurrected to give them hope. And that today would be the day that they would ask for their, your forgiveness 
and invite Jesus to come in and take control so that they can find a new perspective on living, a new direction in life, a new hope. And so God, whatever the need is, as we have this time of invitation, just move in our midst, truly, truly help people to have hearts that are ready to hear your spirit and they'll be ready to be moved to God when you speak. So bless this invitation, I pray. And as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name, amen.